Welcome to Social Media and Ourselves, the podcast where we use students' real experiences to help us understand the social media landscape. Today, we listen to my conversation with Dr. Diana Daly on the topic of sorority secrets. There's a lot of pressure on sorority girls in particular to perform. In sororities, they have to wear certain dresses, do their hair a certain way, can't be fat, they have to go to a gym. And if they comment a certain emoji on our pictures, it means that we have to delete the image. This account called Mary Louise is looking through all the sorority girls, what they post, and if it's appropriate. They're just being surveyed and watched over at every second. As a U of A student, Gabe, what do you think of sororities? Or what did you think of them before you started researching this story? Um, I think they're a, a super, you know, prevalent force on campus. Uh, participation in them seems to be super, super popular. The whole look and and, and feel of them is, is seems to be really magnetic for a lot of students. And before researching this story, I was it was a mystery to me how they sort of homogenized their look or or, or consolidated how how they present themselves to a. Uh, to the campus community, and it's uh, now become a little bit more clear to me how how they do that. So we're going to be talking about that today. Right. We definitely are, because what's funny about them is how visible they are on our campus at the University of Arizona and on many campuses around the nation. And yet, even though they're so visible, they're very secret. All the Greek organizations are named after Greek letters that stand for mottos only the members know. And they also have secret rituals and rules, but sometimes these secrets get leaked. We've had a lot of students from Greek life share their stories with us. And Gabe, you and I noticed that they kept bringing up one sorority secret in particular. Yeah, surveillance was a very common topic among these stories. Uh, They all seem to be censored and surveilled in a very similar way. That's right. My freshman year of college, I was in a sorority, and they clo- they paid very close attention to everything we posted on social media, and we would even get separate meetings and like, um, like talks about what we can and can't post on social media, or when we can and can't do things. And they have these things called dry week, where we're not allowed to go out. And if we go out, then we get in trouble. And one way that they could get us in trouble would be to go on our social medias and try to pinpoint something in a photo to get us in trouble. Um, One of my closest friends got in trouble for having an empty beer can in the background of one of her pictures. And she was sent to standards, which is like the principal's office and she was unable to participate in a lot of activities that we did, including date dashes and formal events. And I think that there's a lot of pressure on sorority girls in particular to perform and to act like a typical sorority girl, but in reality, they're just being surveyed and watched over at every second. Yeah, our speaker there sounded almost like she was whispering in a in a in a soft voice in order to not get herself into too much trouble. She mentioned the principal's office, very funny way of looking at that. But she definitely seemed, you know, seemed to be very aware of the authority that the standards office held over the sorority members and and enforcing dry week as well as the rules about pictures. 
Right. It is something that seems like it's really drilled into them. And we had students point out, you know, this feels like high school. And it's funny because surveillance and censorship and sororities are heavily reliant on social media today, but they've existed since before social networking sites were popularized. These practices of watching and policing what sororities do have been around for a long time. Somewhat recently, but still before social media was a big thing, a scholar named Elizabeth Burberry studied a sorority in a university in the American South in the mid-2000s. Burberry found sororities had this three-level system of monitoring the behavior of their members. There was nationals at the top, then standards at the second, more local level, and on the bottom, policing by fellow members and roommates. At that time, none of the three levels in this system of surveillance were digital, but they still saw a lot. At the top of the system, policing sorority women were nationals. These are the national bodies representing each sorority. There are 26 of these according to figures from the National Panhellenic Council, and more than half of them date back to the 1800s, the rest to the early 1900s, so they've been around a long time. Their job is to curate the national image and reputations of their organizations. And there's a strong economic incentive for Greek organizations to look good on a national level. There's been some crackdown on Greek life at universities recently. Abolishing Greek life is a fantastic step towards making college campuses more equitable. Reports of racist posts and threats online have amplified the calls to abolish. Greek life has really for generations been a public health problem. It has to be the administration that decides to once and for all remove these organizations from campus. Harvard banned same-sex clubs, leading to lawsuits by several nationals. Universities, including Swarthmore, West Virginia, University of Virginia, and Clemson all suspended or banned fraternities and sororities in recent years. They were responding to incidents of hazing, including death by hazing and sexual assault. The thing is, sorority women weren't the perpetrators of any of the terrible incidents that led to these shutdowns of their houses. Fraternities were. I heard a little about surveillance in fraternities, but it sounds like surveillance of their members is not paternalistic, so wouldn't control this kind of behavior at all. The purpose of surveillance and monitoring in fraternities is just the brand to make sure they sort of look the way they want them to. One of my main experiences with social media I have learned in, since my freshman year um, is fraternities and the expectations that they want you to have um, when you go through fall rush or spring rush. Um, they kind of expect you to like have a certain persona, you know, to like fit into the 100 or 200 other members within the organization. Um, and kind of like I say, I would say an example of that could be like when I was going through Rush, um, they don't want you to wear certain shoes or certain pants or shorts, and they want you to all kind of dress the same, everybody to like live up to one standard. And I kind of noticed that throughout of all of Greek life, many friends that are girls in sororities, and they're all very selective and stuff like that, you know, like, oh, they have to wear certain dresses or certain shoes their hair a certain way, like can't be fat, they have to go to a gym, they have to have a certain diet. Honestly, it's just really weird. It's not something I ever expected in college. Right. So our last speaker just mentioned exactly what you were talking about with the brand. It's how they fit in with many other members of the organization. They they have to 
look and dress and act a certain way. And that goes for all Greek life members. But, you know, there's definitely two different types of, of standards going on between between fraternities and then sororities. On the other hand, they work in different ways. And it's certainly reflected in how their social media brand is spread and distributed. Right. And even though fraternities have been responsible for most of the bad Greek behavior, sororities seem to be monitored much more than the fraternities online and elsewhere. Young women in sororities are policed online not only for what they do, but for what other people they associate with do, including what men in fraternities do at their co-ed social events when it's captured online. I'm in a sorority on campus, and as everybody knows, social media is really strict when it comes to what we post. And there was a time that I posted an image on Instagram that was at a fraternity party, and I wasn't the one in the image drinking the alcohol, but there were red Solo cups and bottles of alcohol in the background of the image. I know it sounds ridiculous, but we have an account that monitors our Instagrams and comments on our pictures if it's against our rules. And if they comment a certain emoji on our pictures, it means that we have to delete the image. And this account commented on my picture telling me to, to like delete it immediately. And I was completely confused because I wasn't the one doing any of the activities, but it was a really dramatic situation for no reason in my opinion. They made me remove the image and also called me in for a meeting in order to go over the social media guidelines. Not a lot of people are like aware of the strict rules that we have, but since this experience, I have edited like all of the cups and bottles out of any of the pictures that I post to avoid these consequences again. So in that story, our, our speaker wasn't even sort of the culprit of, of any of these violations. It was sort of what was going on in the background or maybe what her friends were doing. And despite that, the takedown emoji still appeared on her profile. So how exactly do or does the, the second level of monitoring work? How do they send out that, that enforcement team? Well, the second level is called standards. And their mission is to, quote, help chapters understand the importance of behaving in a values congruent way. That's according to the University of Connecticut Student Affairs Office. A sorority standards board is run by upper class women who make judgments on member behavior like a court system. And then Burberry found that these that standards in the Southern sorority she studied called in students for behaviors that they didn't like. They would call them into offices at that time. The behaviors they'd call them in for were, for example, public displays of unladylikeness, including dancing on bars, being too sexual, being too drunk, or underage drinking. But now listen to how standards today have come to use social media to monitor what sorority members do. Right when we joined the sorority, we were told to follow this unanimous account called Mary Louise, and basically this account just is looking through all the sorority girls, what they post, and if it's appropriate because... As a part of my sorority, if you are under 18, you can't be posting anything of drinking content or anything that promotes the idea of drinking, like red solo cups or anything. So that's how they kind of surveillance us. We have a PR person that has a password to the account, along with our president has the password. And um, the PR person also has assistants that are given the password to the account so they can monitor. So that's how they kind of surveil us over the Instagram app. And then as for my um, Snapchat, we are supposed to add the PR person to our Snapchat so they're able to view our stories whenever they come. And then um, to make sure that we follow these, they have have posted multiple times like this if you don't follow it, and then they check to see who's following it. And if you don't follow it, you get in trouble. 
Man, Mary Louise sounds just like uh, an old-fashioned nanny, you know, a, a stuck-up sort of very proper uh, old woman, you know, sort of policing policing her, her subordinates. Totally. And there are reasons the name Mary Louise sounds so old-fashioned like a nanny. Mary Louise was a real person named Mary Louise Bennett, one of the founding members of a sorority in 1870. Tradition is so important in these organizations. Sorority women still wish Mary Louise happy birthday every year on Facebook. Facebook being, of course, where older generations tied to the sorority would see that kind of homage and appreciate it. Also, though, Mary Louise sounds like a nanny or great-grandmother's name, right? So people with authority at standards level perform Mary Louise like a stern matron watching over young women in the online world and kind of ever-present. Wow, that's wild. That's really tightly tied to, to the culture that's, that's not gone away. How does this relate to the, the third level, the lowest level of, of policing? All right, well, the third level might be the most interesting. Um, that third level of control that Burberry found was lateral surveillance by peers. Sorority sisters police each other's behavior. It's very close, because they're roommates after all, and it's very subtle. They gossip and tell stories that remind their sisters what not to do. For example, Emily was acting so slutty last night. I wonder if she'll get called into standards. And this is a quote similar to one from Burberry's article. So um, that is not just policing Emily when they refer to her that way and question her behavior to one another. It's policing everyone in the room who hears this said about Emily. They get reminded you should not act too promiscuous, for example. And that might apply to all kinds of different behaviors that the sorority considers not okay. So you can hear in the stories from sorority members that some surveillance in their organizations is paternalistic, like an extra level of parenting, like Mary Louise, you know, or a nanny um, or a grandmother. But some of it's more cultural, policing members' looks, their numbers of friends, and their bodies. These young women represent the brand of the sorority, and the sorority is always fighting to be a top brand, or in their lingo, a top house. And Gabe, that's why I asked you to look at the website Greek Rank. So Greek Rank is full of user posts, reviews with rankings out of five stars of the brands of what they call the girls of each sorority house. Gabe, can you read us a post or two from the University of Arizona Greek Rank? Sure thing. Uh, I've got one right here, and it starts with Top House. They are hot and fun, yet they are also uh, they also perfectly balance school and social life. I highly recommend this chapter. Great women and an even better sisterhood. Uh, that's five stars rated in every uh, category except for uh, friendliness. Friendliness is four stars. Popularity, classiness, involvement, social life, and sisterhood are all rated five stars. But then again, I also see a bad ranking. Uh, one star, bottom tier. It's weird because at other schools, they are top houses. I wonder what they are doing wrong to achieve this. And that's one star in all the categories that I just mentioned. That's, that's, a, very, that's a very stark difference between these two ratings of, I suppose, what might be very different sororities and houses. Recently, I was checking online um, Greek Rank, which is a website that 
you can comment about any sorority or fraternity and kind of rank them. Um, so I'd gone on to check what people were saying about my sorority because recruitment's coming up and I knew that before I came to the University of Arizona and went through Rush that I didn't really know anything. So this is my way of receiving information about the sororities. And I had seen somebody comment. Really, the only negative comment was that, like, we had terrible sisterhood and that everyone talks behind each other's backs. And I kind of know who this comment is from because one girl had resigned from our sorority. And she's really the only girl that I've ever heard of having a negative experience within our sorority. And it was just kind of disheartening to see up there because it's like, I can't take that comment down and I know it's not true. And I just don't want people to have the idea that my sorority is that way. So the only thing that I felt that I could do was refute what she was saying and just talk about and show how great the sisterhood that I found within my own sorority and how supportive all my sisters have been. And it's just hard because I couldn't take that down and people are seeing that comment no matter what. And that's my story. So reviewer after reviewer on Greek rank boils being a top house down to girls having four basic qualities, being hot, thin, rich, and popular. Greek rank is one of the places online where sororities can't censor so easily because it's anonymous. So it's also a place where members of different sororities can compete or turn on sororities after they leave them, really a form of resistance to the sorority surveillance and censorship system. Definitely. As I read on, some of these uh, some of these reviews get you know, very candid and start to be, you know, almost flaming the 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 sorority houses for bad behavior or for being, you know, mean or, or dishonest. Right. And Mary Louise does not know who they are, <laughs> so there's nothing <laughs> that's there's the nothing part. they can do about it, right? They'd, and that's kind of a Web 2.0 meets the more controlled sorority online world. What you see on Greek rank doesn't seem to match the values that the nationals or the standards include in any of their official rules, right? But it's that third level, that peer surveillance level, that communicates to members what is expected or even required of them to be in the sorority. And so even though Greek rank in some ways functions outside of the sorority, set of, you know, system of surveillance and policing. It's also a part of it. It's part of that third tier level. And the way they police, it's implicit. It's a way to avoid the context collapse of having a national organization appear to discriminate against women who are not thin or not rich or don't have some of the other qualities that are really prized but not talked about. The implicit restrictions on sorority women are expressed through peers, including anonymous reviews on Greek rank and rumors and advice from their sisters. This last fall, I had joined a sorority. I was told that when I joined the sorority, you have to have at least 700 followers before I was initiated or I'd be dropped. I didn't know if it was true or not since a member who was already in the sorority had told me this. I was frantically trying to post cuter Instagram pictures and get more followers. I got at least 700 followers before I was initiated. I asked my friends I had made in the sorority if anyone had told them that, and they said yeah. We went to the president of the sorority and had told the president what the members had told us. The president said that this was not true and that we don't pride ourselves on social media. I don't get why Instagram is such an important aspect for members of the sorority since I joined to meet new people and get new connections and have fun through my college career. So that 
phenomenon that our speaker just talked about is something that I could easily believe. Like if I were told that joining a sorority required you to have a certain number of followers, that would be a, a puzzle piece that, you know, I would believe to fit into the overall picture of, of how sororities form in the way that they do. But the way that it, it's it's sort of just spread as a rumor, maybe from that, that third tier, that lowest tier, um, as, a, as an informal form of cultivating the sorority image, whereas it's not a, an official ruling, that's a very, you know, gray area and very, you know, sneaky way to sort of influence the way that the sorority comes together. Right. Like, imagine if that were how college worked. At the University of Arizona, you see lots of things where all the public-facing stuff says, yeah, anybody can get in, you know, if they're accepted, this and that, and and they can dress however they want, for example. And then you show up, and on the first day, your roommate's like, you can't wear that, man. You know, they're going to report gonna to them. you about you on some to some authority. And it might be something that is never really going to be written about publicly. Right. But it's going to be something that gets that gets conveyed to you and that's going to change your behavior and kind of keep you in line. Definitely. Do you think the fact that we're receiving all of these stories about, you know, the inner workings of the sorority, is that a form of resistance of raising the voice of, of the distaste for these practices? I think it is resistance. Some former and even current members really struggle with the control over sorority women. They feel misled on what the sorority was really about when they finally get in it. And so they want to share information with people. Maybe they don't want sororities to go down in flames, but they seem to want culture change. Sororities can be real forces for good for students and wider communities. The sorority women in my courses are usually really good students. They're all great at teamwork, and they're used to sacrificing individual goals for collective goals, so they just work really well together. And they also do a lot of fundraising and charity work, and they're great at it. But I don't think you can separate why they work together well from these levels of policing. Mary Louise is always watching, it seems. That's that's their... That's their code of integrity it seems right i'm gonna be looking for mary louise online forever now <laughs> me too the works by dr lisbeth a burberry that we consulted are even the good girls have their moments and don't be a whore be ladylike as well as the american sorority girl recast co-authored with Corey w johnson this episode was created by dr diana daly and gabe stultz Social Media and Ourselves is produced through the iVoices Media Lab, which is funded by the Center for University Education Scholarship at the University of Arizona. Thanks for listening.